0: Hi, my name is Theo Davis, and I'm the digital pastor here at Restore. You're joining us for a brand new series called Discovering God, because many of us actually have a very narrow or shallow understanding of who God is. One of the biggest reasons uh, many people don't come to faith in Jesus or abandon their faith is due to a lack of understanding of who God is according to the scriptures. See, we all start off with an immature idea about who God is. Now, listen, that's not intended to be an insult. It's just a very real observation because we have to learn who God is. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're exploring the possibility of faith by listening to this podcast or clicking on this video, here are some barriers that you might encounter. It's, it's difficult to follow God because according to your current understanding, God just doesn't make sense, right? It, it might be difficult to start following God because when you see other Christians ignoring what the Bible says, how, how can that be authentic faith? Now, if you are a Christian, here are some barriers you might experience when it comes to having faith in God and understanding God. See, when, we have, when our faith is easily shattered, in moments of crisis or challenges, um, what do we do then? Our our frustration with God flares quickly because we don't understand why He does or doesn't do certain things. Our our mental health suffers when we begin to wonder if God is mad at us or if He's even real. It all comes from a lack of understanding of God. Regardless if you are or aren't a Christian, what if, what if we dive headfirst into discovering God together? What if we looked at one person's journey, one person's journey with God and what it reveals about his actual nature? And what would happen if we applied these truths? You see, I believe it would lead to more confidence in following God's ways. It would lead to healthier marriages. It would lead to better mental health. It would help us be kinder to one another. It would give us greater endurance in difficult times and overall, more satisfaction in life. Friends, over, over the next six weeks, leading up to Easter, we're going to have a look at six aspects of God revealing himself through six accounts of the life of Moses in the book, of Exodus. <clears throat> we're going to look at God's providence, God's grace, God's availability, his power, his promises, and his love. Today, we're going to discover what God's providence looks like. And here's the big idea, the thing that I want you guys to keep in the back of your mind and walk away with. It's simply this, trust God even when you can't see the end of the story. Trust God even when you can't see the end of the story. Now, before we jump into what I want to help you understand, um, I, want to help, I really want to help you understand how we got here. Uh, because this is important, because sometimes we look at just a vertical slice of Scripture, a single story in Scripture, and we're kind of like, oh, where am I? How, oh, who are these characters? How does it all connect? And let me use this as an example. If you're familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know about the phases and the sagas, right? Uh, you know that uh, you know there's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three, and those phases together create the Infinity Saga. And I'm a huge Marvel fan. I love me some Black Panther, some Iron Man, some Thor, right? But all of those films are connected. And to watch just one of those films, like, okay, that's kind of cool. But when you see the big picture suddenly it makes sense. You can think of the Bible in a similar way. Check out this chart. You can think of the Bible in a a, a series of phases. Phase one would be creation. Uh, That would include the creation story, Adam and Eve, the fall of man, the beginning of humanity, all the way through the time of Noah. Phase two would be the the patriarch. Uh, This is the phase where God begins to introduce himself into the world through a single family and his descendants. Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons who go on to be the 12 tribes of Israel. But before that happens, there's this huge famine in the land. And through a series of events, one of Isaac's sons, Joseph, becomes second in command of all of Egypt. <clears throat> so his whole family moves to Egypt and lives there for several generations to escape the famine and multiply. Phase three, the Exodus. Now several generations have passed, and the Jewish descendants have have grown so numerous that the Egyptian officials began to mistreat them and eventually enslave them. But despite their slavery, they kept multiplying. So Pharaoh, that's Egypt's king, ordered that uh, when their babies were born, if it was a male, it would be killed. Now this was horrifying, and a tense time to be alive as a Jewish person. This is where we pick up our story, episode one of Moses' life. Let's read the scripture, Exodus chapter two, verses one through two. It says this, About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now, uh, every mom thinks their baby is special, all right? Uh, I've seen it. Every single mom thinks their baby is the cutest baby in the world. Sometimes they're not. And every mom thinks their baby is special. What, What mom doesn't look at her baby and thinks, yeah, this one's disposable? So it isn't surprising that she would want to keep her son alive despite this law in Egypt that her son needed to be killed. Imagine the worry this mother must have faced for nine months of her pregnancy. No ultrasound back then to find out right away if it was a boy or a girl. She waited for nine months to discover, oh, it's a boy. And when Moses was born, her heart must have been filled with joy and heartache all at the same time because she likely knew other mothers whose sons met a grim fate during this time. Scripture tells us when she could no longer hide him, she made a daring choice. She placed him in a basket and allowed him to float down the Nile River instead of keeping him. Now, I could read the next portion of this passage, but I'd rather show it to you. Let's watch this clip from The Prince of Egypt. Baby, we still love, don't cry. Sleep as you're all... I wonder wonder what this mother's thoughts of God were in this moment. Does she still trust God? Is she resentful of him for not simply fixing the situation in an instant? He's God, isn't he? Couldn't he have just snapped his fingers and fixed everything? We don't know her thoughts, but she did take some action. Later in the story, we see Big Sister, right? You saw Big Sister kind of following along in the Nile. Big Sister was curious. She had known, uh, she she, she had to know how the story was going to end. So she followed the basket for an unknown distance. And this is where we pick up our story in Scripture. Exodus chapter 2, 5 through 6. It says this, Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and the, her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. It was a little boy crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. He's found by what seems like the worst possible person for him to be found by. Not only is he found by an Egyptian, but Pharaoh's own daughter. The princess knew what her father had commanded, uh, that all the Hebrew boys must be murdered. There were likely penalties for defying the Pharaoh's orders. But what happens next, friends? It's nothing less than shocking. Scripture goes on. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Maybe Big Sister was devising this plan since the beginning, regardless of whoever found it. But surely she must have felt hesitant when she saw who found that basket. But she speaks up. In a bold moment of bravery or perhaps stupidity, she, this slave girl approaches the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, the one who is enslaving and commands that her brother must die. And with an audacious idea that only a child could get away with, uh, she asks, and it pays off big. Just imagine the disbelief on mom's face when her daughter comes bursting in with the story of what just happened. The text continues, take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the waters. This concludes this episode of the beginning of Moses' story. He was in trouble. His mother took a desperate chance. His sister risked her life speaking to the princess, and his life was spared. And mom Not only got to be with her baby for the first couple of months to a few years of his life, she got paid for it as well. Now, notice for a moment that God, He's not mentioned anywhere in this episode. There's no explicit prayer asking God to save her baby. No mention of God's activity intervening in any way that we can see in the narrative. There's no prophets or apostles performing miracles and dictating what needed to happen. However, we can see God's quiet fingerprints all over this story as it unfolds. His providence, his goodwill over everything is all through this situation. What is God's providence? It's the reality that we live in a fallen world filled with sin. However, God is still on the move within this world. Knowing the end of all of our stories and working in our lives in ways that we can see, in ways that we can't see, in an effort to draw people closer to him. God doesn't have to use miracles to impose his will in this world. I love how John Piper, a pastor who I respect and admire, says this, providence, as I use the word, and as most Christians have used the word, is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say that providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. Yes, there is pain in this story. But God never promises we won't ever experience pain or suffering. Yes, Moses doesn't get to live with his mom forever. But the story is captured for us in Scripture as a lesson of how God works. In fact, we see God working similar ways in the New Testament as well. Uh, After Jesus went back to heaven and the Apostle Paul began teaching and preaching about Jesus and about the nature of God, he wrote these words to the church in Rome. It says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Another scripture later on, Paul, the same author, is telling people in Athens, uh, down in Europe in Athens, uh, about Jesus. He's talking to people who believe in a bunch of different gods, but he's trying to draw their attention to the one true God. And he says in Acts chapter 17, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Again, we see the providence of God at work here. We see God's number one desire and purpose isn't for you to have the latest iPhone. It isn't for you to have the biggest house. It isn't for you to compare your life to someone else's. It isn't for you to have maximum pleasure. It isn't for you to, experience any, uh, to, for you to not experience any physical, emotional, or mental pain. His number one desire for us is to be reconnected to him. He chooses so much about our lives so that we might seek him out, though he isn't far from any one of us. God doesn't cause us pain, but we see over and over in Scripture that we are more often receptive to him during times of pain and difficulty. He repurposes the pain that we experience in this fallen world. Again, the big idea for today is this. Trust God even when you can't see the end of the story. So what do we do with this information today? I've got just two things for you to consider. First and foremost, the presence of pain isn't the absence of God. Too many people abandon their faith at the first sign of discomfort. Here are some myths about Jesus and following God that you might think in the back of your head. If if you follow Jesus, you'll get rich. If you follow Jesus, you'll never have any sort of pain or inconvenience. If you follow Jesus, you'll find the perfect husband or wife. If you follow Jesus, the list goes on and on and on. But nowhere in the Bible does it say this. That's an immature faith. We all, Face challenges, myself included, hardship, sickness, poverty, disease, death at any moment, whether we're following God or not, because we live in a fallen world. However, we do not live as those without hope. So, especially in the presence of pain and discomfort, trust God's providence, keep following. This brings us to our second point. Trust God even when you can't see the end of the story. Yeah, it's, it's our big idea, but I really want to drive it home because when we're in the middle of a trial, much like Moses' mom, who was experiencing slavery and injustice and the threat of murder and her last-ditch effort to save her baby was to push him out into the Nile River, free from her control, In moments of trial, it's so important to remember who God is and keep following. When we're in the thick of trial, sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you know what the, what the hardest thing is that we need to accept? Sometimes you and I, we don't get to see the end of the story in our lifetimes. Sometimes our hardships and trials don't pay off until one or more generations down the line. I I think of the enslaved Africans who were kidnapped from their homes, brought to America, and were treated like cattle under some of the most horrific conditions imaginable. We know that some took their own lives, but many pressed on while living under that oppression, hoping for the day, much like the Hebrews under Egyptian slavery, hoping that one day they would experience deliverance and freedom. Sadly, many of my ancestors never got to experience that. But because of their will to live and their legacy of faith as they discovered Jesus even under these harsh conditions, There are now many in the African-American community who have experienced this freedom. How are you benefiting today because of the hardships and the faith of people who came before you? How can your faith and perseverance set up others for hope and success tomorrow? I can assure you that God is on the move. He's moving in the midst of your story. Sometimes the pain of the moment can blind us from the blessing of the whole picture. As part of the series, we want to challenge you to memorize a single verse of Scripture uh, every single week. Uh, And we're going to do that right here, right now. The, The verse I want you to memorize is this. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to read it three times, and whether you're watching or listening, I want you to say it out loud with me. I'll read it the first time you listen, and then the second two times, I want you to say it with me. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now say it with me. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. One last time, and this is my prayer over you. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Romans chapter 8, verse 28.